Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. The first time you may have been exposed to one of Dave Carroll's messages was in 2009, when he watched from a seat on a plane while baggage handlers broke his guitar while unloading it. He penned and recorded United Breaks Guitars. The video, I posted it on Monday, July 6th at uh, 11.30 p.m. and went to bed at midnight with six hits. The next morning I had 300 and then 5,000 by lunch, 25,000 by dinner, and four days later a million. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? I do incorporate music into my presentations. I always start with United Breaks Guitars, but I always finish with a song that has nothing to do with customer service on the surface, but I tie it all together. And I want people to always remember that they're watching a singer who speaks rather than a speaker who sings. I still see myself as a songwriter and a storyteller. Some people say you got to be one or the other, and I've, I've always rejected that. I think you can be all things if you do it authentically and passionately. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is your co-host, Fred Keating. We are back in Edmonton, Canada. We are at the CAPS convention. Fred, a little recap on CAPS for our listeners. How clever of you. Uh, CAPS, of course, C-A-P-S, the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. This is an organization that involves motivational speakers, business coaches, inspirational speakers, facilitators, trainers and developers that work in boardrooms as well as large convention halls. And this is the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers annual conference. But in fact, there are speaking stars from all around the globe here, from all over North America, from Europe, from England, from Australia. They're all here at this annual gathering of the clan to help each other, get to know each other a little better. The champions help the neophytes, the neophytes here to learn, and basically a mutually supportive group where everybody continues their own quest for personal and professional development. And as you mentioned, we have speakers here from around the world, and we have one of those rock stars with us now for this interview. Dave Carroll. Now, Dave Carroll is a musician with a message, or maybe I should say with messages. The first time you may have been exposed to one of Dave Carroll's messages was in 2009 when he watched from a seat on a plane while baggage handlers broke his guitar while unloading it and when his complaints and claims had no impact on the airline, he penned and recorded United Breaks Guitars. Dave's unique approach to customer service and corporate responsibility has been the subject now of many business school case studies. Suffice to say, he got the company's attention and he began to add public speaking into his musical appearances and then began to integrate a bit more music into his speaking appearances You know, he's also, Marvin, Dave is a volunteer firefighter for five years who wrote the 9-11 anthem, Everyday Heroes, in support of those first responders who run towards the trouble and, and not away from it. Dave's career is a perfect example of the power that one voice can have in today's socially driven world. Award-winning singer-songwriter, internationally known expert on customer experience services, Dave Carroll, welcome. Please tell us about Life Before 2009, and no pun intended, that breakup song that changed your life and career. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on the, on the program. I was a full-time musician for 20 years with my brother Don in our band called Sons of Maxwell before that video was, was launched. And I traveled the world with uh, my brother as 
independent singer-songwriters. We had a great career, didn't have million-dollar record deals or any of that stuff, but I did manage to make my living doing only music, the thing I was most passionate about for 20 years. So we were wildly successful, I guess, in that sense, in the music business. And uh, we were traveling with the band, a couple extra musicians, to Nebraska, and we stopped in Chicago, and that's where my guitar got broken and uh, changed my life. What inspired you, other than actually watching this take place, how did the idea form that, hmm, how can I use my voice and talent in songwriting to get this or, poor them, the public's attention? This went on for quite a while. The guitar got broken and it wasn't for another nine months before I finally talked to a customer service rep that put the definitive no on the, on the exchanges and she said that uh, I didn't open a claim within 24 hours and United's policy was that they weren't going to do anything about it. So if I had written that song on day two, it would have been a much different song. But because it took nine months for me to get through my anger and go through this process, it almost became a comedy of errors in the song. I ended up being satirical and funny in how I approached it. And that made all the difference in the world, I think. Yeah, so nine months went by, and that's when I wrote the song. So what was going through your mind at the time? Were you thinking, well, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to spout off about this. I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. Let, let's write a song, put it on YouTube, see what happens. It wasn't a priority. I waited until, I guess, uh, my wife is a customer service manager at the phone company, so she sees people like me on a daily basis, the angriest of the angry people. And she was always coaching me to be nice to the people and follow the chain. And when they shut the conversation down, and said there would be no compensation and it was my fault essentially then I said well I've got other tools at my disposal and that's when I said I was going to do the song and everything changed from that point on because I stopped really being angry right away because I was doing something that I love to do and I was reclaiming my personal power and I was laughing at the situation as I wrote the song and then I brought my friends together and it took seven months to get the video out because it, well, again it wasn't a huge priority for me it was in my spare time my brother became a full-time firefighter the year before, so he and I were playing Sons of Maxwell shows, and I was playing my own solo shows, and I said, in the meantime, I'm going to do this United thing. I had mulling around in my head, found some great friends in the, in the film business who helped me make the video, and so for $150, we made that first video, and went to the Waverly Fire Hall, where I was a volunteer at the time, and uh, we shot it all there for $150 in basically a day. Launched the video not long after, and, and things went ballistic. Now, you launched it on YouTube, of course, and how fast did it go ballistic, and, and how ballistic did it go? Well, this was the early days of social media, and it really was a truly organic example of social media because I didn't have any social media strategy of any kind, really, and I wasn't savvy in any way. The proof is that I got the Twitter handle, at Dave Carroll. There's a million Dave Carrolls out there, and I got it. So that's how early I was in on the game. And the video, I posted it on Monday, July 6th at uh, 11.30 p.m. and went to bed at midnight with six hits. The next morning I had 300 and then 5,000 by lunch, 25,000 by dinner, and four days later a million. And my goal was a million hits with all three of the videos that I had promised the airline in one year. And I ended up getting a million in four days. And how big did it go from there? The YouTube count's sitting at 16 million. So there are, in the last seven years, there are many videos that have received way more hits. But I think what made mine unique was that it really was organic. I sent out two messages, one to everybody in the glory days of Facebook, where one message would hit everybody. I had 400 friends, and I had 300 friends in my Outlook Express database, and I sent one message 
to each group saying, please watch this video, and that's the last two times I've ever asked anyone to really watch it. I think it's really an important note here is that, as you've mentioned, there are videos that have gone viral to a greater extent, but yours was one of the first seriously viral videos ever. It was certainly one of the first as, as a consumer advocacy type of thing, and, and I approached it as a legitimate, serious songwriting effort with great production like I would any other song and that was a key component that I didn't sort of just whittle it away and say uh, this doesn't really matter I put everything I had into that song the same I would for any other song and the musicians who played on it approached it that way and the, the filmmakers we didn't have much of a script and it was very low budget but the equipment and the skill that went into handling the instrumentation and the production was top-notch. I have to ask about the dropping the other slipper because I, I myself have watched it many times alternating between anger and laughing as it proceeds. So, what was the next interaction you had with United after it went kablooey? Well, we did speak, on the, ironically, on the day that it hit a million, we spoke with the people at United. And we had a conversation and they said, it's regretful what's happened. I noticed right away they didn't say, I'm sorry. They said, it's regretful. So they regarded in their language. And uh, they said they'd like to offer $1,200 in flight vouchers as compensation because that's what I had asked for seven months earlier because the guitar had been repaired for $1,200. So they had said no to $1,200 in flight vouchers until the video went viral, at which point they offered that. And so I said, no, thank you. I decided that uh, I wouldn't take the compensation that was coming because thousands of people were emailing me from all over the world saying, you're doing something good for customers. Some of them were saying, don't take the compensation. And I was cognizant of the fact that some of my close friends had given up some time and to make this video for me, and we were doing something more important than that. So I said, no, thank you to that. Did they call you or did you call them? They called us, but again, it was 16 months after the guitar was broken and a million YouTube hits later. And was that the last time you spoke to them? Uh, no, I actually went to Chicago in September, and I was playing a show there, and I was invited to speak to three vice presidents of the airline. So I got a tour of the area, went up in the tower and watched some planes take off at O'Hare Airport. And uh, to their credit, they took turns apologizing on behalf of each of their departments. And a lot of people had said, uh, it's too little too late, isn't it, Dave? It's not. And saying you're sorry is never a bad idea. And it didn't change much of the way I was doing, but at least I felt they were acknowledging that they did something wrong. They never asked you to take it off or tone it down or take it off YouTube? No, I think they were caught flat-footed because of the popularity. Nothing like that I don't think had ever happened before quite like that. And so I was told that they had a team of lawyers that were probably still to this day are itching to get at me for something. They want to be unleashed. But at the time, they didn't want to do anything because they didn't know what the groundswell of support would be if they actually took down the guy that stood up to an airline for something that he didn't do. A lot of people have done studies on this. There's been like 400 books that have been written that talk about this in one way or another. And some of the thesis on some of these books has been that they did everything they shouldn't have done. And so some companies might have said, this is an opportunity to do the customer service paradox, where you take somebody who's a detractor and turn them into your biggest ambassador by acknowledging what you're doing. And they missed all of those steps. And so there could have been an opportunity for them to turn this into something good. But I think the airline would have just hoped that it never happened. Now, since that time, speaking of books, you have become an author. You've written a book about your experiences. You speak about your experiences at events such as this. Tell us about all of that. When this happened, I was just a singer-songwriter, and very quickly I was invited for my first speaking event, and I fell into it, and I decided that I loved it, the first gig I had. I was very nervous about it because I had never really done any public speaking. Even in the band, my brother did most of the talking. And so I said yes to the speaking gig to 700 of the biggest brands in the world at a huge event with a company called Right Now Technologies that I think the next year they got out, bought out for a billion and a half dollars. So it was a, a big deal. And 
I learned a lot, I guess, about myself in that experience because I was questioning why I should be there. I had no speaking experience. They were using me as the kickoff to their most important event of the year. And I realized that I was just there to tell my story and how important storytelling is and that uh, each one of us has a unique story. You just have to find an effective way to tell it. And if you can do that, there's magic in that for everybody and an opportunity to have the legitimacy to, to be on a big stage. Did you or have you since uh, sought out any kind of coaching for those presentation skills or those storytelling skills that you had through song but now take live and verbal along with music? I didn't for the first few years for sure. So say for the first four years, four or five years, I didn't have any coaching at all. And in a sense, I think that was a good thing. I had some stage chops as a musician, so I wasn't nervous on stage. So that was the most important thing, I guess. But I think it sort of has become my style. And so where some people are very polished and very, very uh, articulate and everything's down to a precise science, I'm a little bit looser and I think it, it adds to the authenticity of who I am. Uh, I think it draws people in and makes them comfortable and they're, they're not seeing somebody who's so polished and that's not taking anything away from the people who are but I think if I became that person I think it would come across as inauthentic and, and a little bit too rehearsed and so I'm, I've always been sort of cautious about going that route. That said though I have John Bates is a good friend of mine he's a, a speaker coach expert in the TED talk the shorter length talk and he's taught me uh, quite a few things and Nick Morgan is also a very uh, well-renowned speaker coach and I've worked with Nick on how to work towards developing a new iteration of my story so that I stay relevant to audiences going forward. You know you mentioned integrity and I think that's a really good point here because we now live in a world where the gatekeepers aren't there anymore where the gatekeepers at one time would have said yeah, we're not going to air this. But now things are very different. People such as yourself can have a message and you can get it out there to the world without the gatekeepers. So authenticity is a really important thing and integrity is a really important thing. And I think that's something that's really notable about this music video that you created is that both of those aspects were there in spades. Integrity is so important. I think you have to be today more than ever because you are so exposed. It used to be that you could control the message. PR companies, if you had enough money, you would just keep blasting out the message and people would buy into that. But you're a lot more visible and one detractor can take you down. And so you have to be congruent in everything you say and do. You have to be the person you say you are. And if you have these gaping holes in your integrity, it'll get exposed and there goes the foundation of everything you stand upon. So that it's not really what you say now, it's, it's who you are, who the person is that's it and do they have the integrity behind the message. Are you a member of the National Speakers Association in the States? No, not yet. Uh, this is your first conference? It, it is my first conference and I've intended to do it for years. It's just I'm a one-man show. I, I wear all the hats in my business so I'm extremely busy in all directions. I've attended a CAPS event in Halifax and I love the people there and it's like okay I got to join this and then it a year goes by and I haven't done it yet. So it's my intention to certainly join and getting a taste of this here this weekend, it's, uh, it's neat to see people that do that, they're living the same life that I am. They understand everything I'm going through and I'll be the first to admit that I've been very lucky in how I get my gigs because of the popularity of the video. They sort of are inbound but I really am not the person to talk to on how to build a speaking business because there's so much that I don't know about it yet. So these type of uh, conferences are a wealth of knowledge for me, I think. Now, Dave, I want to ask you, because a lot of things have transpired in your life as a result of this particular viral video. Now, do you still perform music? Are you still a musician? I sure do. Uh, my focus, I guess, now has been more on the business side of the speaking. 
because I actually killed two birds with one stone. I do incorporate music into my presentations. I always start with United Breaks Guitars, but I always finish with a song that has nothing to do with customer service on the surface, but I tie it all together. And I want people to always remember that they're watching a singer who speaks rather than a speaker who sings. They say dance with the one that brung you. So I still see myself as a songwriter and a musical content creator and a storyteller. And I don't differentiate between the two. Some people say you got to be one or the other, and I've, I've always rejected that. I think you can be all things if you do it authentically and passionately. So kind of an unintentional career for you, but as we've said many times on our podcast, sometimes it's about serendipity. I was the luckiest guy in the world. If this had happened today, it would not have gone viral because so many things have happened. It had to happen when it did in my life, in the Sons of Maxwell's transition. It was also a slow news time in July of 2009 when the video went up. If it had been during the election with Trump, that never would have gotten any airplay. All these things had to happen, and I am grateful every time I tell this story in my events because I get to celebrate the gratitude again and again. One final question, Dave. After all is said and done, and on behalf of your guitar, do you now take it into the cabin with you? I take it as far as they'll let me take it, and, and if the planes are small, it never fits inside, but I do carry it to the door of the plane. It gets gate-checked, and at least I get it off the six kilometers of belts at the Toronto Pearson Airport. And they know who you are, so they're being careful. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.